Welcome to Globally Speaking, a production by RWS Moravia. Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who is engaged in global communications. Our experts talk to various industry thought leaders to dig into the most critical issues impacting language and localization today. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. Now, here is the host for this episode. My name is Joel Holtman, and I'm your host today on Globally Speaking. I'm a business development manager here at RWS Moravia, and I have five plus years in the localization industry. In my role, I help match RWS Moravia services to our clients' business goals and helping them go global. Today, we are joined by Alex, who is a product lead for Localize, a growing player in the localization technology industry. So as you would assume, technology is a hot topic among global brands looking to streamline their localization program. And Alex brings us his expertise on this topic today. He talks to us about how TMS systems work, the importance of design being involved at the beginning of localization process, the multiple stakeholders involved in buying and using a TMS, and he wraps up our chat with the machine translation and other trends in the industry. Hi, Joe. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. Yeah, my name is Alex. I'm working as a product lead here at Localize, and it's been a pretty interesting journey with Localize. I started as the customer success manager, but then slowly transitioned closer to the product organization. And yeah, currently I'm on the mission to build out the the best possible product team. That's awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the differentiation that Localize brings to the localization technology industry and why people are being attracted to it? One of the reasons why Localize also attracts customers, it was really built, you know, having that experience of building the products you need to, you know, localize a mobile app and you need to roll it out to efficiently to other markets. And that's how the whole product got started. Now, and uh, one of the kind of things that we've been proud of from the day one is that this is the product that was built by developers for developers. So it was really, you know, taking into account this perspective of the software development process as a whole. And it was solving some of the problems that were really close to that specific area. And I would say that there were not many players on the market out there that also solved the problem from the same perspective. And so that definitely what differentiated Localize from the others. One of the things that we've found out recently is that, and that we are advocating for is to start the localization process at the design stage. So we have developed some of the functionality, some of the plugins that allowed the modern tech companies to save a lot of money on the costs because the sooner you start the localization process of your product, you know, the lower the costs and efforts you would have to spend in order to, you know, fix some things and, you know, do some last minute changes and fix your product when you've already rolled it out to the market. Yeah, and I think that's an important concept that we try to talk to a lot of buyers about is knowing all the different roles that are going to be a part of this decision. A lot of the times we're talking to a localization manager or a chief marketing officer, but there's these other roles that are really going to affect your budget in the end and how this process rolls out smoothly. Why don't you talk about some other roles that you guys come across that maybe the average buyer wouldn't be aware that they should be bringing into these discussions? 
product managers, also maybe CTOs in some yeah. companies of the, of, the, of the smaller size, then also some solution architects in the bigger enterprise companies, the whole departments would be responsible for that. So there would be a localization program or project managers would be responsible for introducing the tools like TMS systems. Then uh, if we speak about some, some other departments, then also, as you mentioned, chief marketing officer could be the one who would be involved in that decision because they also have to, you know, localize their and translate their marketing content or some content that they have in their CMS. Yeah. There are so many stakeholders that need to be involved. Yeah. And I think they all have different pains. And if a company like RWS Moravia and Localize can highlight those different challenges a company is going to experience throughout the process while they're just starting up, that's where we really add value. And you talked about design, and I want to kind of go back to that and the importance of the local design in the localization workflow. Where does that happen today? Usually, is it happening at the end or is it happening at the beginning, the middle? Where are you guys seeing that in your guys' workflows? I would say that if you are starting out with a product or if you know, you're in an organization that is starting out a completely you know, different avenue, a different product under your umbrella then the first thing that happens is that you know you you come up with this idea you come up with the all the requirements that your product needs to solve and then the next stage of this process would be the design stage so you will start with something like low fidelity mock-ups and then you will proceed further to a more high fidelity prototypes some interactive prototypes and so if your organization is already global at that point and your strategic product or initiative that you're working on, you know that sort of the end goal for that is to be the global product, then the multilingual design is something that you have to think about from the day one. So I will give you a, a quick example. So for example, when you're designing the mockups and then kind of you validate this idea and then you start to work on the high fidelity prototypes, then you might know what are the languages you know that you will be targeted where you would be rolling out your product in. And so at this point, let's assume, you know, it's obviously US market, it's European market, and it's also, you know, some some Arabic countries as well. So already at this point, you know that, for example, some languages like Arabic, it's a right, right to left language. So it can completely change how you build your interface of your product because yeah. otherwise you might find yourself in a situation when you've already rolled it out and then, you know, in the Arabic region, the design breaks and you need to make all of these fixes, you need to make all of these changes, and it's a really painful process. And then also speaking about some European countries like Germany, like Sweden, for example. So their languages, the, the, the German and the Swedish language, these are the languages that are lengthier than the English, obviously. And so, you know, it can take as much as up to like 30, 40% of the space in your interface. Right. And then again, it means that you need to adjust and adapt your, your layout, how all the elements are placed on the screen. And so, yeah, what I'm trying to say, if you build this, you know that this will be a global product and you have also the resources to invest in, in, in it from the day one, better you do that because then when you will be rolling out the even the MVP of your product to multiple regions, then you would be able to collect the feedback from the different regions. And it might be different, right? Right. And also while you're doing that, actually translators also act as, you know, as a, as a first layer of the, of the feedback. So when they are translating your product, they can also 
provide you some valuable and useful insights. Great point. But also you use it as a sort of, you know, this kind of feedback loop process that you can, you know, already integrate some of the feedback from, from the day one and you really can iterate at the very early stages. Now, if we talk about some, let's say, products that they've been doing it in a pretty, you know, standard waterfall process, even not waterfall process, but in an agile process when the localization was heavily embedded continuous localization, right? So you have kind of maybe not nailed that, but you have some practices, your teams are working happens along with the, you know, new features that you're adding to the product or new functionalities. But then again, sometimes you start translating, for example, without the context or you get your strings from your code repository, right? So the uh, developers made some updates there. They've added some new keys because, because the the product team decided that we need to add this new feature. And obviously there's new text included on that screen, for example. And only then after, you know, your developers pushed all of this new strings to the code repository, your TMS system fetches that and then translators start to translate it. But what if you know, when you've started to, again, design the whole new feature already at that point, you could bring on board the translators as well because right. you know that your product is, is supporting that amount of languages. Let's assume, I don't know, it's 30 languages. And so you can, again, incorporate the translations already at that point because, first of all, again, you will receive some feedback from the translators who would be working on, on these strings. But second of all, you would be able to spot some some issues perhaps with this new functionality or how it you know how it's designed in the product and what are the issues that you will face in in you know in the different languages once it's translated and it really saves you time so once you've already did that it means that there will be less work perhaps for your Q&A to focus on and really some other stakeholders will just spend less time and they will face less issues when you know you undergo this process and you start with the localization as soon as possible yeah. And that buyer that just got into localization and listening to this and panicking right now and saying, oh, no, I didn't do this ideal workflow. What percentage of buyers are you seeing that actually follow this ideal workflow and are just scrambling at the end more and saying, oh, no, we got to figure out how to get into these international markets and support them? That's a very good question. I would say that Sometimes when we speak to the prospects, we still find pretty well-known companies who are dealing with the localization in Excel spreadsheets. So right. <laughs> the majority of the buyers, they're not yet there in terms of yeah. fully integrating the localization into the design process and starting to think about it from the day one. But it's an iterative process. So you learn new information, new tools emerge on the market. There are new ways how to handle these problems in a more efficient manner. And that's how you start to adapt your process. And really, I think the key takeaway here, what the listener can take from this conversation is don't be afraid to adapt your processes. It doesn't mean that they should be done in a way that they've been doing that for the last, I don't know, couple of years. Some process already deeply embedded into, you know, your workflow. But still, you might have some, again, some side projects. And why don't you start with this process on your side project? Because there are no other dependencies, for example. So nothing stops you from doing that. And then if if it proves to be working, if it proves to save you X amount of money, X amount of time for your, you know, employees, then you can try to kind of mirror that process in your main product development and localization efforts. Yeah, I think this is a good topic. 
how do clients understand how a TMS works and what are they really missing out on? Right. So that's a very interesting topic because I would also say that different people and different stakeholders think differently about what TMS actually means. So TMS obviously stands for the translation management system. But for example, if you ask a language service provider or a translation agency what TMS means, you know, they made picture in their head tools like XTRF or Plunet that help them with the project management aspect of the work that they are doing for the LSP to work efficiently with the translators, with the freelance translators, with the different translation agencies, stuff like that, and really streamline the whole process of quoting, invoicing, and really kind of kind of project management aspects of things. Yeah. Then if you ask somebody else, like if you ask, for example, a product manager, even think of this aspect at all of like the whole process of dealing with the vendors and stuff. And they might think about it from a perspective of how I can, again, embed the localization process into my software development cycles. Right. So how I can I make it work so that my developers should not, you know, do some routine tasks in order to for the localization process to happen. How I can free their time in order to be more efficient. And then when you ask some marketing folks, for them it could be really a sort of a single source of truth for all the translations that they've done for the different marketing content that, that is out there. Because what's interesting about marketing departments is that they usually are the ones with the biggest budgets for the translations because you know there's so much content that they need to translate and localize and it includes let's say i don't know marketing collateral materials like physical but also digital some landing pages that they have for the different campaigns also the the ad campaigns themselves even if that's a, an ad campaign on the google search for instance and so really a lot of the stuff that they, they do, and if they are an international company, then they have to translate it all. And so kind of for them, usually when you ask these folks, so what are you looking in the TMS? They usually say, we need a single source of truth that would, you know, connect with the, some of the systems perhaps that we use as CMS, et cetera. But also that, you know, we can reuse all the translations that we've done in the past and maybe even they have the resources to do the translations but they just want to be more efficient in that process of translating the new copies when they emerge and again automating that so that they can for example pre-translate using the tm leverage translation memory leverage and then yeah adapt this text and stuff like that so yeah i don't know if that kind of answers your question directly but yeah, I think it brought it full circle to where we started the podcast talking about the different roles and the TMS is really going to mean something different to each of these roles and we're able to kind of give each of them a different advantage or a different value. So, you know, I think that was great. Another big topic in our industry is obviously machine translation, neural machine translation as well. And so how is localized tackling NMT and MT in their workflows today? I've been speaking to some people who've been in the industry for quite a long time. And when I ask them about what are the trends in the industry, uh, machine translation and their sort of development is one topic that always pops up. So it's, it's never left out at all. We do integrate with a couple of machine translation engines in order, again, for the translators and those working with the content to be able to leverage these MT engines straight away when they when they work with a copy. And uh, the interesting thing is that 
machine translation engines can be used in a in a different way. So we've seen customers, for example, who kind of some products they have their core markets, yeah. right? So for example, they operate in 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 Germany, in France, in UK, in USA, and these are really their core markets. And so here they try to make sure that their quality of the translations is the best possible version. So they hire the best translators in order to make sure that they, their quality is top-notch. But then they also have some secondary markets or perhaps some markets where they just want to test out how the audience will react and they are just using the machine translation engines and they don't bother even to you know post-edit the, the, the results because what they want to do is they want a very quick turnaround and they want to understand how this region will perform. Yeah. So they really are looking at the, the analytics of it. And then if it is doing well, then you know they can invest more money, they can collaborate with a translation agency and make sure that their content is of the better quality out there. And so that's one use case which is which is pretty interesting. But the second one is obviously how we can improve the, the output of the machine translation engines. Yeah, and I think you touched on some good points of MT is one, it can be an easy way and an affordable way to enter a new market and test the waters. And I think also what's important to our listeners is maybe even tier your content, tier one, tier two, tier three. And those tier threes, you can start to explore machine translation with. And maybe it's content that you wouldn't have translated previously, but now that you have this option out there, you can bring that in and start translating more content and support content and stuff like that. And then the revenue generating content, use those human translators for and that trans creation or that content creation. Right. An important part, though, in if you are using machine translation is a lot of people are using machine translation with post-edit. How is the review process working with the localized workflow? Right. What we do have in our platform is the possibility to define sort of custom statuses for the strings. And if we talk about, you know, some standard simple workflows when there is, for example, a translation and revision, it's pretty easy to determine what is the the status of the strings. But when you start to automate lots of the stuff, for example, pre-translating something with a translation memory leverage that you have, and then passing into the translators and then maybe applying the machine translation output to the other strings and have somebody who is reviewing the output, right, and doing some post-editing. And for example, again, since we've touched on the topic of you can have multiple regions and you have different workflows and then kind of create a more sophisticated workflows in a sense, maybe for the different languages, you're creating different workflows and stuff. And then speaking about the whole perspective of translators post-editing the output of the MT engines, then I would say that there is some language resources that uh, translators have, like, again, terminology, like the translation memory from the other projects, like commenting section, like also context of that string so that they can, you know, work with that output and really kind of sort of apply all the information that they have and make sure that it corresponds to the tone of voice, to the style, to the context that they see on their screen, you know, for that particular string, for that particular uh, customer and make the MT output more personalized and, uh, you know, something that would sound like a real translation that takes into account the, you know, the needs of the end user, but not just a plain MT engine output. 
Why don't we have you give us your opinion on trends and predictions on the tech industry and where the tools are going? Right. So I would say that, yeah, one trend obviously is the sort of development of the different MT engines, right? And again, sort of the the machine learning and artificial intelligence that can be applied in that specific niche and really trying to make sure that, you know, this engines are able to learn from what they have processed. So yeah, I would say that the second trend when maybe there is some mergers happening or maybe some new players on the market emerge that would try to really sort of create the whole kind of ecosystem in place and I don't know, maybe create some marketplaces where, where other tools sort of plug in in order to kind of provide this whole experience. So that's, yeah, that's the second take. The third element where I see maybe the trend where the industry can evolve is sort of the ed- education. So how do we educate new players, new companies, new people who are entering this industry yeah. in order to learn maybe some fundamentals, some basics, and be prepared to, you know, what's what's to come. And so I think that there's pretty limited amount of information out there. So for example, localization, I know there is some courses in the universities, but I don't think there are many of them. I also don't think that there is lots of content, you know, some courses and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel that there is some gap in terms of the knowledge that is provided, even though there are definitely some players out there and some Again, some people, some individuals who try to educate others and and stuff like that. I see that this whole kind of space should also evolve in the future in order for everybody to, again, grow and in order for industry to step on the next level. Yeah, those courses that can support the people like us that were just going to school for, say, marketing and a support course that helps for you to understand the more the international markets and stuff like that. I hear you there as there are definitely universities out there that focus on just localization, but it could probably be more integrated into our everyday universities and ones that aren't dedicated specifically to that. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Because there is this concept of, you know, the global citizen and from what we can see, like all the companies are becoming global and, you know, that's, that's why we need to support it with more resources, more materials, more courses, for example, in order for everybody to feel comfortable in this global citizen's shoes. I want to end the podcast with you just giving a little bit of advice to someone entering the industry and specifically those people that may not have experience with the industry, just learning about it and what's some advice you would give to them on jumping in. Yeah, I would say that This is something that is very similar in the whole kind of product role, right? You should always be curious about, you know, what's happening in the industry. What are the ways that things are done? What are the, again, some more standard workflows? What are the more advanced workflows? What are the different people that are in need of the localization and what are their goals? And I would say that at this point, basically, since there are so many, you know, again, people, so many tools, so many different processes, and every company is sort of at the different stage of the localization maturity. There is no golden rule of thumb for anybody, and everybody is learning. Everybody is improving their processes. Everybody is evolving. And for somebody who is just entering the market, you have to be curious and you have to try to step in the shoes of all these different people and try to understand how 
different companies tackle different problems differently and then apply your experience once you gather that to decide what is the best for your company, for your client or anything else. Yeah. So you should not be afraid of what's to come. Yeah, you're bringing a new point of view that might help change the industry. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, an RWS Moravia production. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean. Check out other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com, where you can also find transcripts from every show. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out to us by contacting us at info at globallyspeakingradio.com.